0: We're going to be in Luke 2.22 if you want to head there. We're going to be in Isaiah quite a bit. Um, if you're one of those people who if you have a printed Bible, put your finger in Isaiah 40, we're going to look at uh, a little bit also. Uh, we've come these different songs, poems, uh, prophecies. Uh, we've come, this is the sixth one if you uh, remember. we w- We went through <laughs> the whole of Luke one and part of two, over the last uh, month and time of Advent, started with Mary's song, which you know had to do a lot with joy and mercy and humility, uh, the fact that she was picked as the one to bear Jesus, and then we worked our way over to Zachariah, the the father of John the Baptist, and his great. Song or prophecy that had to do with uh, righteousness from the Messiah, and then what his son was going to do. Um, we we took a deep dive, and as we saw in those, uh, something was coming from them. This wasn't something that certainly was their own knowledge to some extent, but there was some special revelation come to them. Obviously, f- to both of them, within the form of an angel, which is kind of special. Uh, which is, uh, and then Christmas Eve, we hit the the angels coming to the shepherds, and what the shepherd told them, um, and the angel's song of uh, peace on earth and goodwill to men, to all who the Lord is pleased. So then we come to a time of uh, (coughs) quite a bit later, 40 days later. Uh, If you uh, look just above where we're at, uh, verse 21 talks about that at eight days he was circumcised. That's the way um, that was done. But then If you go back in Leviticus, it tells us that the woman's seen as uh, unceremonially clean. You know, when it says you're uh, ceremonially unclean, when you're unclean it doesn't mean you're sinning. It just means there's something that uh, uh, makes you not able to worship in a normal way. Um, Like if you remember, we see that in the Gospel of Mark where the lepers come and they say, unclean, unclean. It's like well, it's ceremonial unclean too, but there was another reason that they said that. They were physically uh, contagious. <coughs> and uh, we can look at that at two different ways. When you look at the Old Testament, you can look at the God being mean to these people, which I wouldn't, uh, that you can't come. Beca- but the other thing is, a lot of times, you'll see it's protection of the people. Um, a lot of times, we'll see now with medical science, we know it's probably good to keep lepers out of the temple. Um, and then there's some uh, blood and all that type of illness. It's good to keep that out. So it's not necessarily uh, that Mary was sinning or anything like that. It was just that this, but after 33 days, if you had a male child, you had to come and, and dedicate, you, you, do the you give a, an offering for your uncleanliness, and then you become clean. And then it's, it's so it becomes a total of 40 days for a male. 80 days for a female. Why? I don't know. Uh, because God said so. Sometimes you just have to say that. Um, so that's where we are now. This is called the time of their pur- her purification. Um, so, And when the time came for their purification, this would be 40 days after Jesus' birth, according to the law of Moses, they brought him up to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every male who first opens the womb shall be called holy to the Lord. So here it's not just her uncleanliness, it's offering the firstborn too, ceremoniously. Remember in Mary's song, we went back and it showed how close that was to Hannah's song. And remember Hannah had Samuel and and she did that too, but she dedicated him completely. I mean, he went and lived with, in the temple or the tabernacle at that time. So this is more ceremonial, it's just a thank offering, um, And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for a fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. So this is Simeon. He's We're going to just kind of pick through this. There's a lot here. Um, 25, it says he's righteous. Um, What does that mean that you're righteous? You know, we we talked about this in our Roman study today. The word righteousness or righteous almost always has a connotation of relationship. So it's almost like right relationship with God. And so he was in that. It's not saying that he was perfect. If you go back and and you're welcome to do that, uh, well, don't do it now because you'll get sidetrack, but do it later. Uh, Luke 1, when Eliza- it says Elizabeth and Zachariah were blameless before the Lord. Does that mean they never screwed up? Yeah, I mean, I th- they probably minimally did, right? Um, and as we knew from the Roman study, screwing up is not the goal. Another New Year's Resolution, don't wake up in the morning and say, well, I'm going to sin today, just hope there are few. You know, I think you want to wake up and say, Lord, help me not but kind of back to 1 John chapter 2, you know, he says, do not sin. So now you have your goal. But if you do, you have an advocate in Christ Jesus who is the righteous one, you know. So that's the idea. He was righteous because he had a relationship with God and he wanted to follow Yahweh, and he followed what Yahweh had told him to follow in the Old Covenant. That's why he's righteous. And when he messed up, what do you do in the Old Covenant? You you repent. and What do you do in the New Covenant? You repent. They seem fairly similar. It's back, how do I get that? Now, in the Old Covenant, there were sacrifices you were to do. um, uh, They're symbolic, but they were real. And then, of course, in the New Covenant, we we focus on the sacrifice of Jesus. And that he has told us that he is our advocate. So... He's righteous before God, and he was waiting, and we and, we, uh, uh, and I like the song, we did, Come the long-expected Jesus. It's th- he's expecting something. Lots of people were expecting the Messiah to come in the uh, first century. Um, lots of people were expecting the Messiah to come in the second century B.C. and the first century B.C. too. The, the expectation was there. Um, but he's waiting for the consolation of Israel, and th- that word doesn't do much. It may be different in your translations, but... Um, that's often tran- that word is often translated comfort, the comfort of Israel. You know, and that doesn't mean God comes down and says, you know, it's going to be okay. So let's go out to eat, you know, because that always saves, solves everything if you didn't know that. But, you know, that's not the comfort we're, we're talking about. But when I think the word consolation, I always think of third or fourth place, right? Because you got the championship game, then you got the consolation. And so you can get third if you win that one. That's the best. That's not what this is talking about. This is a different word. Um, And if you look at Psalm 23, which we know, you see this word used. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now, sometimes we take that, What makes us feel good. Well, I think that's part of it. But this word really means to be in relationship with, to be come alongside, to do what we can't do for ourselves. It, au- it has a salvation quality to it. And we see this in Isaiah 40, and if you want to turn to that, this is probably the place that um, it's most known for, although it's in uh, Paul's writings. and But Isaiah, just to kind of not set it up because we're not going to be in here very long, but Isaiah, it's a... if. Again, yeah, I'm giving you all kinds of wonderful New Year's resolutions. I mean, read through Isaiah. It's just an amazing book. It's mostly poetry, which is sometimes hard for us. Uh, Hebrew poetry is, is really deep and good. But Isaiah, the first 39 chapters, is primarily about the judgment that's going to come on the people if they disobey, if they don't see Yahweh as their God. If they follow after other gods. Now, there's some hope in each in verses there. We got obvi- obviously Isaiah 7, what the virgin will conceive, Isaiah 9, wonderful counselor, mighty father, all those things. But most of it's about judgment. And then everything changes in chapter 40. The judgment becomes the minor thing and the, the consolation, the comfort, the salvation of the people. The good part of, if you follow me, this is what happens. And so Isaiah 40 through 66, if you don't, if you can't read the whole thing, which you really can, um, at least read that last part, you know. I mean, how long would it take you to read 66 chapters? Ten minutes? No, uh, None of us, yeah. I mean, and don't just read it as fast as you can. Take your time. But think, verse 1, it changes from 30. To, comfort, comfort. My people, says your God, speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended, that her iniquity is pardoned, that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. And then see if this verse reminds you of anything. A voice cries in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up, and every mountain and hill be made low. And uneven ground shall become level and rough places plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed. And all flesh shall see it together for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And the rest of this is pretty pretty much messianic. This is. I mean, Mark uses that very passage to talk about John the Baptist, verse 3. This is all about, and what did the, look at verse 5, what did the angels sing? Glory to God in the highest. Why? Because the glory is revealed. You know, this is about this is about Jesus. It's really interesting the way, and that is that word comfort. Comfort my people. It's deeper, much much deeper than just you know making you n- they're they're there. It's okay, and that's that's nice. It's nice when moms do that. You know, dads are like get up. You know. <laughs> Maybe we need both as kids. But but the idea of of giving us what we need spiritually because it's right in the middle of that that you have your iniquity is pardoned and we'll look at a verse in chapter 53 that really hits that hard so it says in if you want to go on back to your Luke passage it says that uh, he was waiting for the consolation but the Holy Spirit was upon him now this is kind of out of time isn't it I mean we know the Holy Spirit works a little bit in the Old Testament but the Holy Spirit's just not all that individually active, but he's he's here. Um, and the thing that's really, he gives him specific revelation. Verse 26, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, I, I like to have you guys think about if this was a movie, what, how would you... Who would you cast for Simeon and, you know, all that kind of stuff? And what would he look like? Over time, if you see if you Google Simeon, if a picture of that, you know, he usually looks pretty old. Um, You know, it never says his age in here. What if this dude was 18? Well, notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say Simeon, very old and about ready to die It doesn't say that. Now, it could be. I'm okay with that. And it doesn't even say after you see the Messiah, you're going to die really fast. It doesn't say either. It just says before you die, you're going to see it. So I'm not, it's your movie, you can do what you want. And I think the traditional idea that maybe he's a little older. And the way he responds, I I would kind of go to older. My movie, he's older. He's got a beard in my movie. But the idea of this, the point is, you know, don't read into the text what's not there. It's possible that he's, you know, he's a young whippersnapper and lives another 60 years. Who knows? Um, There's a lot of uh, conjecture about who Simeon was, but the the text doesn't really tell us. Um, But again, specific revelation. And notice, this is always true in the Bible. And that's why the goofiness that's out there today in some Christian circles, I think, is really, really problematic Nowhere in the Bible does God ever give you a puzzle when He wants you to know something directly. He didn't say, Simeon, something cool is going to happen. What? Well, you know, you got to wait. I'll give you an inkling later. Or you know, There's none of that. It's just direct. You know, there's no ambiguity here. If you ask Simeon that day, he said, Do you know what God has told you? Is He going to say, Well, I'm not really sure. I kind of feel the Lord leading me that something's going to happen in the temple. No, this is very specific. It's specific revelation given to him so that he'll know. Again, why does God reveal words to us? To communicate information. And if you can't understand the information, then it's really not all that helpful. Now, we realize when we go through the Gospel of Mark and the other Gospels with the parables that sometimes we don't get it, but is that God's fault or ours? Think about John 3. Was Jesus happy that Nicodemus wasn't figuring this out? I love that line. You're the teacher of Israel and you don't get this? What is wrong with you? I mean, he doesn't quite say that, but that's implied. You know, And, and but so he gets this specific, it's really cool, you know. And again, in my movie, he's kind of up in years and, and then this happens. So he comes, it says in verse 27, he comes into the temple in the spirit. That's a that's a phrase we get sometimes in the Bible. And every time that I could recall, it was always the God, when they're in the spirit, they get some special information, which we've already gotten here. And then the special information is accomplished. So he comes in the spirit. You know, I don't know, your movie again, how many days did he do this? I'm going to make a quick movie, it's going to be one day. I don't know. It doesn't say. But it says he's ready. He's expecting something. Because he knows one thing. Whether he's 18 or 83, he's going to see the Messiah before he dies. So he comes in in the spirit. You see this same term used in the book of Revelation. When the, when the apostle John was at the, on the island of Patmos, I was in the spirit on the Lord's day, which is Sunday, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, and then you get 22 chapters of really cool stuff. That by golly, you're going to read this year because that's a new. year. No, just read what you read what you want. Get in it somewhere. You know, that's uh, get to know God better. But this is it's it's in the spirit is, is a pres- big little prepositional phrase that tells us that they're kind of in tune. You know, I look. Ar- I mean, sometimes in life we have this. Lots of time we don't. And if you're not in the spirit, all you got to do is read the book who was written by the Spirit, and you usually get what you need. Um, if think about it this way. Read the book, pray, worship, serve, be in the church, and if God wants to tell you something specific, it's really up to him. Let's go with that. That sounds pretty good. Is anybody writing this down? I mean, I think that's, that's, that's it. But he knew Jesus was the one when he saw him. So there's some emotion here. You know, when he looks at this, he takes up and then and he sings a song, you know. My eyes have seen your salvation. So he understands what this little guy is for, right? And there's no hint in here about maybe salvation from the Romans. He doesn't quote the the, the scriptures that he kind of seems to be having in the background are about salvation from our sins, not about salvation from our enemies. I think Simeon's one who got it, which is another reason I'm going to kill him off pretty fast in my movie. Because if he was around, I think he'd been, they would have probably got this information. Um. And how did he know this? Well, it could be, we could imply that the Spirit's still helping him with the song. And I think that's probably part of it. But he's also, this sounds a lot like a lot of stuff in Isaiah. You know, Isaiah 52, the Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. I've seen your salvation. What does it mean to see your salvation, you know? You're aware that it's there. People were waiting for this. You know, in in 2 Corinthians, Paul picks this up. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. That's kind of a metaphysical thing, but I don't know if you knew that. You're kind of a, your body's not with the Lord cause, completely because where's the Lord right now? In heaven, some place that Jesus ascended to. So when we're, at home, when we're home with the body, we're away from the Lord. And later on he's going to say, but when you're away from the body, guess what? If you're a believer, you're home with the Lord. It's just, that's why we'll, so when in a funeral we'll say they went home. Because, you know, the earth is not our home, as they, as they say. The world is not our home. But this is the one I wanted, to, you know, that he saw the salvation. So, but what do we do? I wasn't there. And I'm fucking around. None of you are that old, right? None of us were there. Why do we believe this stuff? I don't have eyewitness testimony. Well, Paul tells us that we're supposed to walk by faith, not by sight. And he's talking about physical sight there. Um, if you go on, you, can, you see that in context. Now, don't, this gets screwed up so many times. This isn't say that we don't have any evidence. We have all kinds of evidence. It's just not eyewitness. We've got eyewitnesses telling us this. And you have to ask yourself, because I've heard people say that, atheists. It's like, well, I believe if God would show me and i'm like well i we can pray for that I, and he does do that sometimes to people in dreams and other ways but most people come to the faith because of the spirit working on their hearts through the word that he's already given and you know i don't know if i always like that i mean if you ask me and i'll just do me if you could come to faith by studying Scripture and the Spirit coming into your heart and understanding it that way, or Jesus was to appear to you and say, this is real. I thought I'd probably take B, but that's not the way it always works. But the, the question you have to ask yourself is what God asks of us and gives us sufficient for what we need. I mean, the old atheist type, well, if God rode into the, into the you know, clouds, you know, I am real, you know, I remember one debater with, one Christian debater said to the, hey, well, you'd figure a way to poo-poo that too. You know, because it's a hard issue, really. It's a hard issue. And you, you don't have to answer this. I can answer it for you. But most of us know it's true, yes, because of the objective evidence, but also because there's something in here. I mean, I know it sounds weird to say that somebody on an airplane or something, but how do you know it's true? It's just like, I just know. And it almost sounds too mystic. And so you have to be careful with that, because it should be the evidence from Scripture and the evidence in your heart from that they, they work together because he's the author of this stuff, too. And you know it. Maybe it'll happen today. Maybe it already has when you know in your heart more than just in your head, although it's there, that this is real and nobody can take it away from you. Well, Simeon had that and he got exactly what he was looking for. But what he tells us is kind of cool. A light for revelation to the Gentiles. This is a group of people that didn't care for Gentiles too much. But as you go back into the Old Testament and into the New, that seems to be a big deal. I will make this at 49.6 is your big quintessential uh, light to the nations passage. Again, right back in Isaiah, in the good part, you know. (laughs) I will make you a light for the nations. He's talking to Israel there that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth, that you weren't chosen just so you were special. You were chosen to be a light to everyone. And that's going to ultimately come four chapters later. He's going to tell you exactly how that's going to work. And we'll hit a couple of those verses in a little bit. But you see it other places. In John 8, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, walk, will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. I'm the light of what? The Jews, Right? Doesn't say the Jews. It says the world, which would include those filthy Gentiles too, wouldn't it? You notice one of the times, every time Jesus mentions Gentiles in it, they always get upset at him. We we see it in John eight, you see it everywhere. Luke four, he brings up Gentiles and they're like, we gotta get rid of this guy. He like, and then you get even worse. You get Samaritans. Yeah, that's that's not good. You know go through John 4, they're like, are we really going through here? But this is, you know, and then he talks about the glory of the people Israel. So it's a little different. The light for the nations and for the glory of the people Israel. You see this in Isaiah 46. I bring near my righteousness, it is not far off, and my salvation will not delay, and I will put salvation in Zion for Israel my glory. The idea, their glory, their their worth is going to be shown by being a light. You know, Jesus hits this pretty hard in, the, ma- in uh, the Sermon on the Mount right after the Beatitudes. What are we supposed to do with our light? Are we supposed to hide it under a... No, it's a song that says so. Yeah, What's that? <laughs> yeah, let it shine, let it shine. That that's, comes right out of the Old Testament. This was what Israel was supposed to do. And, and, they were, and that's why Jesus seems to be somewhat upset at them because they're not following what they've already been given. And we need to do the same thing, right? So the glory, Israel already has what they need. They know Yahweh. They should be seeing the Messiah. Simeon is is a Jew, but yet he understands. I don't know if you knew that, but all the apostles were Jewish. I don't know if you knew this, but Jesus was Jewish. I like me some Jews. I think we should be kind of liking Jews because it seems like a lot of stuff comes from there. But then he gets even more point. This is a little bit later in his uh, talk. Um, it's like, you know, I, I've had this before where, where it, you get a sermon going, and, and you know, and this, is, this is really good, I know. But it's like a fun sermon. And, and Simeon's song so far is so cool. But then it gets a little deep. It's like, you know, the gospel is only going to shine brightly when, we, re- we, when we, we understand we're in darkness. If you don't know you're in darkness, you're not going to look for light. Um, You don't have that much reading material here for this year, so I'll give you some more. Um, I think they're good if you like fiction, and these are older, but then they've done a few movies on them now. The Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis. There's one called The Silver Chair. And in that one, and you can read about it, but what happens is they end up, some of these Narnians and a couple of the kids from England that went through the wardrobe, they're in a cave underneath where there's just darkness and gloomy. And they're under kind of a spell, and so is the king of Narnia. And they think this is reality, this darkness and bleakness. And that's what people walk through sometimes, you know. We've kind of had that in Isaiah 9. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. If you realize you're walking in darkness, what do you start to do? You look for light. The problem is, in that allegorical story, they thought they were in the light, but they weren't. You know, Christmas is always a time, you know, we talk about that light, where now we there is something better than this day-to-day stuff, and that's that's good. You you have to see there's a problem, and you can read the rest of the book to see how they work that out. Uh, and actually, there's five. I don't know what number that is, but there's, there's seven of them. I'm on my shelf if you want to borrow them. Um, if you like fiction, it's a little Englishy, which is a little hard sometimes, you know, they're eating like figgy pudding and stuff, which I have no idea what that is. But uh, I remember one of the weirdest I heard this because I heard John Stott once talk and he said, you know, this is the difference is chalk and cheese. I'm like, what does chalk and cheese have to do with each other? That's the that's the English saying for oil and water. So you got to kind of crawl back into the... And, and if you do it well enough, you'll just start talking with an English accent, which is kind of cool too. So, people listen to you when you talk that way. But he says in verse 34, he kind of changes. He, he wants them to know that there's a problem. And Simeon, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. Talking about the revealing hearts. And you go back to Isaiah eight. Now, this is back into more of the judgment section, but and he will become a sanctuary and a stone of offense and a rock of stumbling to both houses of Israel, a trap and a snare to the inhabitants of Jerusalem. It it, it seems like he's talking about the Messiah there. It's a little hard to tell, but there's it seems like it's going to be good for some people and bad. And Jesus kind of picks up on this in Matthew 21. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. So either the stone in your life, who is Jesus, is your cornerstone in your foundation, or he's the one who's going to break you. Think about it. Every world religion has to deal with Jesus. And one of us is right. We think we're right. Have you ever, ever had people tell you that? It's like, well, you think you're right. I'm like, well, why the heck would I teach if I thought it was wrong? That would be stupid, right? We think we have because of lots of reasons, historical evidence, archaeological evidence, textual evidence, and the evidence of the Holy Spirit in our hearts, plus more probably. But Jesus either crushes the person or he saves the person. That's the two. You're going to have to deal with him. Remember back in Matthew 16, who do you say that I am? That's a question you have to ask. That's a good question to ask somebody who maybe doesn't believe. Who do you think Jesus is? And you might ask him, who the heck do you think you are? <laughs> maybe say it nicer than that. Sometimes it's good to get their attention. But until we realize who we are and who Jesus is, you're always going to, wh- what do I need? I don't need him. Eventually, he's going to come and it's going to change things. John 9, for judgment I came into this world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. That's kind of weird, isn't it? Those who think they've got it figured out will eventually, they'll be so blind that they won't follow me. And those who do not see but understand their darkness, they will see. It's, It's the old last shall be first, first shall be last. And then 1 Corinthians, this is uh, a a good verse from Paul. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. It still is. Um, But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. So it's the idea everything falls on him. And it seems like that's what Simeon is trying to get across here. He talks about the falling and rising. You know, Peter hits this so hard in First Peter. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. That's Psalm 118. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, Isaiah 8, back to it. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. That's a good scripture. It says so much, doesn't it? Because who's you there? Well, it's first century Christians, but I think it's 21st century Christians too. You ever think of yourself as a holy nation, a royal priesthood? You know, what was a priest for? A priest, you had to go to the priest so you could get to God. Well, what do you do if you want to repent? Do you go to a priest? Do you come to me? I mean, we can pray together, but you can do it yourself. It's good to do together. But you have access. You're just like a priest now. You have ac- just as much access as a Levitical priest did in the Old Covenant. That's pretty cool. Don't get cocky. You know, read, the, you know, read Exodus. They got cocky and pfft, didn't work out too well. finally in Matthew 12, anyone who isn't with me <laughs> opposes me and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. I like that as a math major, it's binary. Zeros and ones, there's no middle ground. Either you're for me or against me. Uh, before him. me say it was going to be easy because the last verse that he hits is, a sword will pierce through your own soul. Mary had to be saying, who let this guy in here? You know, probably not. But we get that. You know, she ponders these things in her heart when the Magi came. When well, she ponders her things here too, what does this, what does this mean? And then we get to the great servant song of Isaiah 53. What did he say? The sword will pierce through your own soul, to Mary. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned, every one, to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the suffering servant passage of, of Isaiah 53 that Peter clearly tells us that he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness by his wounds we have been healed. That's talking about your salvation, not about your health. I think that's pretty clear from Isaiah 53. Jesus didn't die on the cross so you won't get sick. You can pray to not get sick. I I do that. But I don't know. Oh boy, this is a little bit morbid, but y'all know you're going to eventually die, right? Okay. That's good to know. It's good to know. Hopefully not soon, but that's up to him, not me. But Again, this idea of being healed is being saved. That's what he's talking about. And how's that going to happen? He's going to have to get pierced. I think that's maybe what, I don't know if Simeon even understood this. But the Holy Spirit certainly did. And here you have buried in chapter 2 the cross already. I wonder what Mary was thinking, you know. She was probably wondering what he meant. Anyone who isn't with me opposes me and anyone who isn't working with me is actually working against me. That is the key. You're either for Jesus or you're against him. There's no middle ground. You can go to chapter 3 of Revelation to the great city of Laodicea and I love that little analogy there. It's you know, you're neither hot nor cold. <laughs> so I spit you out of my mouth. <laughs> That's a heck of a metaphor. You know what lukewarm's like. You go up there, you know, and get done with practice, and you get that cold water, you you know, that Luke stuff just doesn't work, you know. Hot or cold, you know, give me some hot tea or cold tea. Don't get me in the middle. That's the metaphor there, the idea that don't just be, you can't be kind of partially on fire for Jesus, can you? You can't be a part-time Christian. It's kind of like being a little bit pregnant, right? See, they're on or it's off. I think that's what we have. Now, again, well, what if I fall short? Well, you're righteous and blameless before God if you repent. It's, part of it. it's already built into the system. It's kind of cool. Maybe that's why we call it the good news. There's grace everywhere. Um, well, somebody should name a church that. Let's finish up. 29, you know, going back, this is what it's called. is a nunc diminis. it's It's, 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 it's a, in different liturgy throughout the centuries. There's a song but it's just now dismissed. He's so happy. Okay, I can die now. You know, and I think that's what we, we all want that. Simeon was promised that he would see the Lord's Messiah before he died, and he just got it done. And like anyone, we we mourn when people die, but we do not mourn as those who have no hope because now they're away from the body, and present with the Lord, which, as Paul said, is much better. But while we're here, and we're getting ready for a new year, what does God have in store for you? What does he want you to do? I think he wants you to know him a little bit better, serve him a little bit more. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And that's what Simeon had. And that's what I hope you have, too. If you have peace with God, the Com- all the calamity and the chaos around the world and in your life, although important and hard to deal with, is not a circumstance that stops that peace you have with God. That's what that's what Simeon had. That's what I hope you have. Now, if you know him any day, he can demi- dismiss you with peace because you have the main thing. Let us pray. Fathers, we... Uh, Look at this last song for our Christmas season. Such a wonderful deep song. uh, Such a wonderful revelation you gave to Simeon that he was going to see Jesus before he died. And that is exactly what happened. May we always remember that your word is true. It could be counted on. And when it says that we are saved by grace through faith, we can believe that. That just grabbing onto you, realizing our guilt, grabbing onto the grace. May we live uh, the next year and the years beyond. Everyone you give us in gratitude and obedience to your word.